here we go. Here we go. All right, today's guest is a good brother that I've known ooh, probably more than half my life. Um, <laughs> he is an insurance agent as well as a Gulf War veteran. Today's guest on the network is Mr. Freddie Noble. Freddie, how you doing today? I'm doing well, doing well. Hey, here in Houston, Texas, who knows what the weather going to be, but we're in Houston. Yeah, you know, the weather is is a little, it, it's got a personality of its own. It kind of does what, what it won't, when it won't. So I'm not complaining, though. I'm not complaining. This rain to keep it cool, so I ain't tripping. I ain't tripping at all. All right, man, we're going to jump right into this thing. Man, give us a little bit of your background. Tell us uh, where you grew up, where's your hometown, you know, just some little tidbits. Give us some background information all right. and tell us who Freddie Noble is. No problem. I'm, uh, like I said, I'm rich. I started out in California. I moved to Louisiana when I was nine. When my mom and dad, they decided to split up. So I moved to Louisiana, ended up moving to a place called Gina. Now, a lot of people, they 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 may not recognize Gina, but they end up knowing Gina because they end up for the Gina Six, you yeah. know. So that's what I, that's my hometown. Graduated high school, uh, ended up going to Northwestern State, uh, walking on playing football. Everything was going great. Um, but in between that time, between the age of 17 and 18, I decided I was going to join the National Guard because I want to go to basic training. So, you know, I just wanted to go to basic training. I just thought it was awesome. I went to basic training, went to Northwest and playing football. And then one day, got a knock on the door and said, hey, man, you, uh, you need to go to war. <laughs> uh, how, how old were you? I was, I had just, when they knocked on the door, I was, I, I was 19. Yeah, I was 19. I was 19. I just turned 19. Yeah, I think I was 19. Oh, let me see, 19. That was 1990. So actually, I turned 20. See, you know, I, I get the years mixed up. I just turned 20. So when you get that knock on the door that you're going to war, what's the first thing that goes through your mind as a 20-year-old? You know, because like I said, I was sitting in class. It was a state trooper actually knocked on the door and saying, hey, I need to come outside and talk to you. So you don't know what they what they really want to talk to you about. You know, yeah. you get pulled out of class and he's like, hey, I just got a call from your first sergeant. You need to resign from school. You, your, your unit has been activated to go to war. And I was like, you know, the first thing on your mind is, you know, I, I think about the Vietnam War, think about all the people I saw and how they was, was going on. And basically, I'm like, I didn't really sign up to, to, to fight somebody's war that I ain't got, you know, that really, you know, ain't, ain't my war. Because I was yeah, going overseas, yeah. you know, ain't like they attacked us. Yeah, yeah. All right, so 20 years old, you end up going... And, and fighting in the Gulf War. Um, how long was your tour? I was over there nine months. Okay, okay. So you do your nine months. What is the, do you have any distinct memories of, oh, yeah. of being there? Oh, yeah. Uh, very, it's like one of the, it was a good experience and a bad experience together. Because, you know, uh, you get to see a whole nother culture. So at 20 years old, you get the, your mind's getting a chance to shape. So when I first went over there, I'm like, I ain't messing with no Saudis. They cool. Y'all stay where y'all gonna stay with your dashiki. I'm gonna stay where I am, okay? Uh huh. But when you're over there so long, you kind of just, you know, your guard go down a little bit and you get to know them as people. So that's the good experience about it. The bad experience is that I went from a unit from Gina, so I'm dealing with, dealing with a lot of racism inside my unit, okay? It is. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm dealing with we 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 get a we're getting scud attacks every night, and I'm on a 24 hour mission. So every night I got to drive on a highway that you don't know is going to be attacked. And, and you know you get you hear you hear things go off. You got to put your got to put your gear on because you don't know if it's a chemical attack. And so you know you do that for about four or five months. Constantly, you, you your sleep patterns are messed up. And when you yeah. on a I I, I was um, I was a 18 wheeler. I had an 18 wheeler. So I had what they call a central product, which was water. I had to go pick water up and go deliver it to a base. And that's like a, it was a three hour one way trip. You know, so you, you like to be sleeping at two o'clock in the morning, somebody knock on your door, I mean, tap you on your thing, say, hey man, it's your turn to drive. You got to wake up because that truck got to stay moving 24 hours. Oh, wow. Wow. That's interesting, man. That's interesting. So you, you get back stateside um how easy was it or difficult was it for you to transition back into civilian life it was it was real difficult what i skipped was when i went to northwestern playing football i kind of skipped the part was i kind of did a little too much and i ended up making two daughters okay <laughs> i got two daughters <laughs> that were born while i was at northwestern so okay they were born when i was gone well one was born right before i left and one was born while i was gone and this ain't the same technology that we have now. You got to actually write a letter. Ain't no internet. You hopefully you get a picture, you know. So um, when I got back, it was a hard adjustment. I went through a lot. Went through depression real bad. I mean, I went through severe depression. Um, I wasn't in school anymore, and I don't know how much, but you know, the thing is, when you a high school, I was a high school athlete. I mean, basically a high school mm-hmm. star. So the best thing about when you're a star is, you know, you kind of get passed along in life. You know, you don't yeah. experience what everybody else experiences. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I just didn't experience what a lot of other black folks may experience. However, when I got back and I wasn't playing sports no more, I, I started experiencing what all, everybody else was experienced. Had a hard time getting a job when I got back. I mean, I couldn't get a job anywhere. I couldn't get in school right away because I was I, I got back too late. So I missed the deadline to get in school because I had to sit down mm-hmm. another semester. Uh, of course, I got two kids, so I got that stress going on. Um, I had some other issues that happened with my family. So when I got back, unfortunately, my family had spent all my money, too. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, wow. And so along with the, you know, and like I said, along because when I was, everybody that came back, they left us over there. It's like maybe about 30 of us, they left over there for the long term, for a longer term. So when I got back with the vehicles, you just, you didn't with a lot. And now you, I'm still only 20, but I just been experienced. I mean, I experienced death over there. Uh, I mean, you, yeah. I experienced having prisoners of war. So you experience so much and you're trying to still figure who you are, who you are, who you are yourself, but you're going through so much. And now you're dealing with realities of life. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. So we're at age 20. Correct. Now we have a Gulf War veteran at the age of 20. You come back home. Um, you mentioned, you know, some difficulties with your family. But if we can back up just a little bit in your questionnaire, you mentioned that you lost your mom when you were 14. Correct. So. um. What was what was that like losing losing your mom at fourteen, and then 
ending up as a war veteran at the age of 20. What, what, what are those six years like? Okay, those six years are pretty rough. Uh, my mom had bought a house when I was 13. So she had just bought her first house. We we're excited. I got, I got uh, at that time, I had three siblings. An older sister, older brother, and a younger brother, okay? Um, she, had, she had just had my youngest brother November the 14th of 1984, and she died December 15, 1984. Um, and I'm like, I'm the last one to see her alive because I was at the house with her. And, uh, so I kind of you know, experienced everything. So what happens is you're 14 and you can't really process the um, five stages of grief. And they really are grief. So I go into a I go into a very, very much anger stage, you know. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. and you know, this is eighty five. Ain't nobody really talking to you how to deal with your emotions, you know. Basically, you suck it up right. and move on. So you know, then my, my sister and her husband they end up moving my mom's house. Uh, her husband probably I think he, my sister is twenty one at the time, so I'm fourteen. She's twenty one. Her husband about twenty three, twenty four. They got two kids. She had her own life going on. But she take my she take myself in. She take my my younger brother in. That was five. He turned five after that. And then eventually she take my youngest brother in. Who's no? She take him in when he's about four or five months in. So now she's a twenty one year old, basically with five no five kids. And unfortunately, her husband worked offshore. He lost his job. He ended up getting a substance abuse problem. So not only I'm saying domestic abuse in the household, but I'm probably the most stable one to keep trying to keep everything together. So, you know, you got CPS trying to get the kids. I'm going through yeah. school. It was a lot of stuff. A lot. That, that's a lot. That, that's a lot. If you could go back in time and give advice to 14, 15, 16-year-old Freddie, knowing everything that you now know now, what, what advice would you give him? I would tell him that everything he's feeling is okay. It's okay. Why, to, why would you say it's that? okay to be angry? It's okay to be sad. It's okay to deny all that stuff. You know, those things are okay. You know, but when you're young and you don't really have outlets, you start you start thinking they're not okay. And then the main thing is, if you get anger too long, you start becoming self-destructive. You just start doing things because you really don't care. So I would tell young Fred at 14 years old, um, uh, embrace the emotions and learn to love yourself still. Because the race is only complete when you give up in the race. When you give up in the race, there's no longer race. But as long as you continue to progress and move forward, you know, but, you know, at the same time, I could talk about that time, but also I could tell you that I learned to trust my decisions at a young age because I walked a very slim tightrope. I make a mistake. I felt that mistake right away. It wasn't no doubt about it, you know? So when you start understanding that you don't have much room to make mistakes, you, you, you learn to trust your decisions. So, you know, that, that's kind of how things run out on that. Okay. Okay. So you're back from the Gulf war. You do get back into school. Yep, I am transferred. Right? transferred to North Northeast University of Louisiana Monroe. I transferred there. Okay, okay. Well, um, what's your degree in? Uh, sociology. Sociology. Okay, yeah, okay. But... So you you leave Northeast. So today, 
um, you are an insurance agent. Correct. So kind of weave your journey. Let's kind of take what we've talked about so far and then tell us how you ended up being Freddie from State Farm. Okay. Well, this is the funniest thing. When I transferred to Northeast, I changed my major three times. (laughs) I was going to be a nursing major. I was going to be something else, something else. But what I realized was I wasn't good in science and I didn't like blood. So those two things kind of don't go well together. But I was good in history. I was good at studying folks. That's how sociology is just studying a group of people. And I love people. And I'm like, well, you know, I was going to be a counselor. With my background, everything I've been through, I'm like, man, I'd be a pretty good counselor until I found out what they pay <laughs> with a master's degree. <laughs> right. Right. Because I had a real good fraternity brother. He had a master's degree and, you know, he, he showed me what he was making. And I'm like, so hold on, I got to go to school three more years, get more debt just to make that? Nah. Nice. Nah, I can find That's something easy. else. And so that same Easy that plan. same friend he uh, he told me to stay for my intern an intern program for minorities. Man, I didn't want to do that because I didn't know anything about insurance. Zero, didn't care about it. However, they was paying a lot of money for the summer. Remember, I told you I had two kids. They got right, me. Right. Right. <laughs> so right, I go through there. And I interview about five or six times. You know, I'm like, man, these folks crazy. They don't want me. Um, And the the last interview, I didn't care. I really showed up, and I didn't care what I was saying in the interview. And they ended up picking me. I'm like, oh, okay. But when they picked me, it was another, like, so all the other interns, they mostly either white women, black women, ain't number one black male but besides me. They picked me. I'm like, cool. Everybody else wearing a suit to work, they put me in the mail room. I'm like, hold on. So I'm an intern. You say you want me professional development, but you put me in a mailroom. You know, so I kind of felt a little, felt a little bad. I ain't like him either. I, I still didn't like State Farm like that. To this day, I still struggle with that <laughs> play. But uh, <laughs> so I was in the mailroom and uh, didn't like it, but they were still paying me the same money. They were paying people wearing suits. But you know, okay. I want to feel good. I want to wear my suit look good. But you know, I went over there. And they like my work ethic. Now, one thing I was told in life, don't matter what you do, just try to work hard at it. You know, you work hard at it, it don't matter. So they like my work ethic. And they say, hey, you know, I know you got another year in school. Do you want to stay on working in the mailroom? And I'm like, okay, I don't have to work weekends. And y'all going to pay me this kind of money right here? And I can set my own schedule? Good. I'm with you now, cool. State Farm. I'm with, I'm with Team yeah, State Farm. We, we can do okay? that. Yeah, so, we can do that. I stayed on for another another year, and actually, it was funny because, uh, as you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Mega Side Five attorney, uh, and so I'm staying with the brothers. I'm making money, and we living a good life as far as we concerned. I mean, yeah. all the bills paid, kids taken care of, and then the state farm said, "Hey, man, I thought you were supposed to graduate." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, but I gotta push that off." And yeah. So I was like, oh, man, I guess they really want me to graduate. So I graduated. And then, once again, State Farm being State Farm, I'm thinking once I graduate, they're going to move me to a professional job. I got a degree. Mm-hmm. Nah, they left me in that same job for six months. So then I became angry, Freddie, at State Farm. Okay. Okay. 
but I still worked hard. I just, I smiled and I shook and jugged. But once I walked out that door, I was probably talking nonsense about them folks, telling them folks, man, they kick rocks. Yeah, yeah. So how do you go from angry Freddie to agent Freddie? Well, there, well, I told you, there's, there, there's racism in America. And them same people are racist, they got jobs. So I'm in a department that they got one black supervisor. He decides to interview and get another job. That means they probably need to hire another black supervisor to keep their quota, okay? So right, you can hire right. somebody from the outside that you don't know, or you can hire somebody that you kind of feel that you know that's a safe bet. <laughs> so they hired me. Okay. So I became a supervisor. Okay. Uh, one thing about it is that I've never been afraid of hard work. So I worked hard. Uh, I read a lot. So whatever manuals, I read everything. So the joke was, if they had a question about something, it was about 13 different departments in one big department. Ask Freddie. He'll know because he read every man. And I'm like, yeah, I did read all the manuals, okay? So yeah. if you're sitting there at work and they got you in the training program and they tell you to read a book, I mean, we didn't have, this ain't no, you got your iPhone, you don't have nothing but the book to look in front of you. Right, right, you right, could, right. You can sit there and scribble, scrabble, or you can read. I just decided to read because, you know, I like to know a little bit. So I ended up doing that. I'm going to make this real quick. So I do that job, and then I realized I was walking around. I smelled good, looked good, but I wasn't making the money I wanted to make. Got promoted. They wanted me to go to corporate. and But there was another job called claims. But it was like catastrophe claims. I mean, you travel mm -hmm. around the country to get your car, and when you work, you work, and you was off, you off. And I said, man, I want to go do that. So actually, I, I took a, I left, I left supervisor and went back to a, a, another role. I actually went backwards. But they were still paying me the same money. I was making more money, but I went backwards as far as titles. Yeah, yeah. But you know, so I did that job and I did that for, I did that job knowing that I was going to be an agent. I just wanted to pay some debt off. Okay, okay. Did that job for seven years, but the best thing about that job was I traveled around the country. Now, I'm going to jump in and tell you something real funny. It ain't funny, but just make you, you, you wrap it up. So one day, when I'm a supervisor, I'm walking around the office. I got my chest off. You know, you can't tell me nothing. And there's a guy that hired me. His name is Kevin. You know, he's an older white guy. I mean, he really wasn't older, but he walked up to me and said, hey, friends, hey. He said, hey, I just want to let you know when I interviewed you five years ago, you was not my best candidate. And I'm like, what? So I'm saying, like, what, what, so what you trying to tell me? You know, he's like, so, you know, I just want you to know you were not my, there were better candidates than you. I selected you because I felt the opportunity might be best for you. So I'm like, man, you just slapped me in my face, you know? And I kind of felt some little way about that. I'm looking at him kind of side-eyed, like, okay. You yeah, know, yeah. especially my background, I don't need no handouts from no one. So, I, you know, I ain't need that. And right. so I, I keep that in mind, but, you know, that's just something, but, so the same guy, Kevin, that I just told you about, he now is a big agency manager. And I'm ready to be an agent. So I emailed him, say, hey, Kevin, I'm ready to be, I want to be an agent. He said, okay. He made a couple phone calls. I did some interviews. I became an agent. And me and him had a real good conversation. He said, hey, we were on an agency trip. You know, I went to trip state farm. Um, we're somewhere. And me and him had a real good conversation. He said, hey, I want to recap that conversation we had. He said, I said, okay. Now, this is like 10 years later. He uh -huh. said, 
my family was a doctor. I wasn't like everybody from Monroe. I understood that the racism of Monroe, and I understand that sometimes people just need opportunity to shine. So when I said I selected you, I was really giving you the opportunity. I believed in you, and I knew you were doing. You had never disappointed me that way. So I thought, you know, so awesome. it's real good, funny to, to tell you one part of the story, but I didn't tell you that part of the story. And you know, I still communicate with him. So basically, he greenlighted a lot of stuff. That's good. That's good stuff. I tell you what, man, let, let's talk a little bit about insurance. Okay. What is the number one thing that people have no idea about when it comes to insurance? All of it. Uh, but All of when it. You, yeah. When you say insurance, it's just so many different parts of it. Most people are intimidated by it and they're intimidated okay. by it because they don't have someone they can relate to. As, a, as, okay. a, and as an agent, I just want to be relatable. I ain't using no fancy words. I mean, I can use all the terminology, but that ain't what's going to relate to you. I want to make right. it simple that you understand. So that at the end of the day, you're paying for a product that's based off a promise. And I want you to understand how to use that promise. Okay. okay. Say, that, say, that, say that again. Say that again. We're paying for a product. That's based off a promise. Again. And I okay. just want you to know how to use that promise. Okay. Okay. Because once again, I tell you, there's a lot of people who are working in these industries that they're not really trying to help people out like us. <laughs> and we get a little nervous when we start asking, asking us questions and we just don't want to mess anything up. So we really don't do well. So when I was a claim adjuster, that's what made me become an agent. I'm out there and they used to always put me in the hood. I mean, I worked every, I worked in, I worked in Hampton, Virginia. I worked in, uh, with Michael Vick from, I worked at Newport News. I worked all these uh -huh. hoods, New Orleans. And they always, St. Louis, they put me in the hood, okay? So I'm adjusting the hood. And what I yeah. realized is when I'm talking to folks, they need someone they can relate to. Uh -huh. They need someone that they can, you know, they can say, and they, 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 they can feel comfortable saying, hey, yeah. And you find out most people were very, very honest. They were just nervous. And you know, so I was like, okay. And then what I realized was those people, when I had to tell someone no, say no, nah, that wasn't covered, that was probably because then they didn't have a relationship with their agents. And they they probably didn't know that yeah. they didn't have coverage. Correct. Okay. In my philosophy, I believe most people are smart if you give them all the information. The problem okay. is most people okay. make a decision without all the information. Okay. 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 So let me hit this. So I'm I'm looking at your questionnaire. Um and you say, you know, you, you've seen what not having life insurance can do to a family, especially a young family. And sometimes in minority communities, we put too much emphasis on the burial policy. But all that does is help you bury somebody. So what would you recommend? Make it real quick. My mom died in 84. We bought the house in 83. We all young. She had a policy at work. You know, we put it in the ground. We had a, it was a decent funeral. That same house we lost in 1990. Okay? So the, the, my, my mom's biggest possession, you know, beside, and one of, one of the proudest things beside her kids, we could, mm -hmm. as a family, could hold it. Because she had life insurance, but she had insurance from the guy that knocked on the door to, you know, she paid a little money. And all it does is, what, five to $10,000? That's nothing to take the family forward. Okay? 
Now, there's a lot of different conversations about what type of life insurance. And, you know, I, I actually, I've had, what's this, this, June, I've had four death claims this year from people I wrote up. And no one, during a death claim, no one has ever asked me what type of policy. They always ask me how much. Okay? So Wh I tell Which question is more important? Huh? Which question is more important? How much or what type? Or do they work hand in hand? They work hand in hand. But the thing okay. is, have something on you. Okay? You have something besides $10,000. Now, the joke is, you know, I got a, uh, you know, I, Mike, you know, I'm, the, I'm divorced. And so my ex-wife, I got a lot of big life insurance policy. I mean, everybody say, why? I said, because she got my youngest daughter. And at the end of the day, yeah. if something happened to me, I want them to be taken care of. And, I, and my joke is, I talk, I talk to all men. I talk to men like a man. I say, hey, man, let me tell you something right now. If you go right now and y'all got a double income, she's going to have to find another man fast because she's used to living on a double income, okay? Yeah. She may not be ready to find a man, but guess what? If she doesn't really find another income, it's going to hurt her life. Now, if you get a good life policy on you, not only you give her proper time to mourn, she may not want another man. But if she does get another man, there's going to be a big picture of you probably right there and say, you need to thank him for making it, making everything better for us. And that's why I look yeah, right now. That's crucial. That's crucial. Especially, I, I want to point out the, the, the time to mourn. So give your family time to mourn without having to worry about how is this going to get paid or how is that going to get paid or losing the house or losing a vehicle. You're 100% right. And that's actually what, when you, when you, when you don't get proper time to mourn, then you basically, you make it, it's a wound that never got a chance to heal. And, you know, that, that can, and I know that from, like I said, coming from my mom. So I can understand the importance of trying to heal. And sometimes you have enough life insurance. You may need to take a year off. You may take a year off just to, I'm just want to concentrate on the kids, concentrate on that. But if you ain't, if you didn't make enough, a big enough life policy, you can't do that. You buried somebody on Saturday and Monday, you got to go back to work. Yeah, yeah. So just for informational purposes, let's say I need a, about how, approximately how much life insurance do I need to have in case I fall over dead tomorrow? Percentage-wise. Percentage-wise, you it, it, it's not complicated, but it is complicated. Now, what I tell everybody if you have to start off with an easy policy, a hundred thousand. My first policy was a hundred thousand. Okay, it was a mm -hmm. little term policy. I was paying about fifteen dollars a month, and I got it for twenty years. And I was so proud because I'm like, hey, they're gonna get a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, something happened to me. Yeah. That was a lot of money. Then. Now, yeah. uh, my life policy is a lot more because I have more responsibilities, and there's a different vision I want for my kids. So the answer to your question is, vision what you want for your family. Five to ten years from now, and maybe two hundred thousand dollars to do that, maybe five hundred, maybe a million. The, all those things play in the mind, you know. And right now, you you still you're still in your high earning years, so maybe you just say, "Hey, I need just half a million right now." But I, in twenty years, I don't, I'm not gonna need that, so I'm gonna get a cheap. I'm gonna get a policy just to cover me for twenty years right now. That's that's the years I'm, I'm the most worried about. But after that, you know, you have other options. But the key is 
when you buy life insurance, especially like through a company like mine, you can start off with like a term policy and you can convert it to another policy later with no more underwriting because your health can change okay. as you get older. Okay. Okay. So we usually, I usually try to do this at the beginning of episodes, but if y'all are listening or watching and you need a quality insurance agent, tell us where we can find you. Yeah. My name is Freddie Noble. You can find me. My telephone number is 281-679-6488. I write in all of Texas and all of Louisiana. Uh, my, my, of course, you can reach me on Instagram, everything. That's 4A Noble Agent. That's the number four, the letter A, last name Noble, N-O-B-L-E Agent, A-G-E-N-T dot com. You can reach me anyway. I actually respond. I have very, I have, have an awesome team. It's not just me. I'm just the one that talk nonsense mostly, okay? Uh, the team is who really are the important ones. But the key is, I, you, you know need what? to reach me, leave me a message. Anybody knows me, I answer my phone. I do call back. I text back. Because my goal is, even if you don't choose me as an agent, I want you to have education. You know, sometimes I'm not the best fit for you. But I want you to have, I want you to have a resource that you can come to. And that resource is just as important as the policy. That's good. That's good. True servant. True servant's heart right there. True heart of a servant. All right. So I'm going to jump into the next thing. What, if anything, keeps Freddie Noble up at night? It's typically my daughters. The well-being of my daughters. We're, they're, they're, they're three beautiful young black ladies. Two of them are overgrown. One is young. And I worry about the welfare of them. I worry about the climate we're in right now. I worry about, am I leaving the world a better place for them? Because it's been a good, my generation has in, haven't enjoyed it. I just want to make sure their generation is able to expand on what we're doing and we don't make it go backwards. That's good. That's good. Definitely good. All right. I know you're a reader. I know you're an avid reader. So let's talk about recommended reads. What what have you read? What are you reading? What would you recommend that our listeners and those who are watching would read as well? Let me put my glasses on. You know, you put my glasses on, make people think I'm smarter now, okay? I should maybe should have started off with my glasses, okay? <laughs> Start off with my glasses, I look real good. Like, oh, man, he's smart. But no. <laughs> One book that really helped me off in life, I tell everybody, it was called Chasing the Screams. And that's by uh, Johan Hart. Okay. Uh, the book really made me grow as a person. You know, there's some things you, you've been taught or what you think. And, and that book challenged those things and it gave me a reason why. But also the book was important and let me know that I have PTSD. I have trauma in my life. And I never really acknowledged that. But the book, the book pointed out some things that I was doing personally in my life that let me know I had trauma. So another one is David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh-huh. We all know the Bible story about David and Goliath, but you need to read this book. Because sometimes we spend too much energy focusing on our, our weaknesses versus we just need to focus on our strength and be aware of your weakness. Okay? When you know your strength, that's where you should put your energy in. But be aware of your weakness. Don't be, don't, yeah. don't just be ignorant, but be aware that, you know, hey, that's a weakness of mine. I can be better in it. But I'm only, I'm, 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 I'm really great when I focus on what I do the best. And uh, another one, success runs in our race. 
And that, that book was very important to me because when you start a business or when you start your podcast, you got to fight your mental images telling you what you're not going, how you may not succeed, what may go wrong, what's not right. And if once it's all get right, I'm going to do it. And the success runs in our race tells me that it's never going to be perfect. You just got to go do it. And you have to learn to start speaking to yourself positively. You know, yeah, yeah. there's no such thing as failure. They just either that either you didn't do proper preparation, but even when things didn't go the way you want, you learned something. So it's not really a failure. A failure would be just nothing. So that book told me really to just, and I'm over many of businesses, okay? Some of them mm-hmm. successful, some of them have not been what I wanted. But this book taught me that. So hey man, and then they just keep pushing. Uh, I got two more. The Prayer at Your Best. And the reason why, it was, it was a good book to tell me that I need to learn to pray for myself. Most times in life, you pray for everybody around you, but you don't really pray for yourself. And when That's I start good. praying for myself, you know, then it, it, it starts getting better. I start having a better understanding. And The Miseducation of the Negro. I did not want to read the book. I thought it was past my time. I'm like, you know, why we got to read the book? And I read the book, and what I found out was what they were writing by, writing about back then, it still applies right now. Still applicable today. My my last guest had the same book on his list. <laughs> that's, that's, listen, that, that's, the, that's the confirmation. I have read the book before, but that, for me, I need to read it again. I need to go back and read it again. Okay, okay. I see you got... Uh, Three three books you're working on now, the ISIS papers? Yeah, I'm working on the ISIS paper because I'm just a reader. So I'm really yeah. working on the ISIS paper. That's what, what's the other two I told you I was working on? Let me tell you, to you right quick. Okay. I got it right here. Uh, I'm, op- I'm doing option trading for beginners. I, I, I list a lot. I'm not big. I list a lot of uh, different things, but also I'm a reader. So I got to hear it, then I got to see it on paper. So I want to do option yeah. trading because, you know, there's there's multiple ways. Now, the best thing about it is we have the internet. There's so many ways that we can make money, okay? Right, right. And, you, and just because this way is working right now for you doesn't mean that you can't open your mind and find better ways. And, you know, you know, you, I'm, I see you got Mark in the back, so I listen to him all the time. Uh, and the thing is, you know, I think he broke up. He broke it down one time. He said, "Hey man, I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm an NBA vet, and you 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 playing like uh like little little kids basketball. You're not gonna be as good as I am. So understand yeah. that, you know. So a lot of times we jump into something, we get mad real quick because we're not as great as we want to be. But it takes a lot of time to do that. It takes you know to be an expert with ten thousand hours, you know. But we jump into something, do it ten yeah. hours, be mad because we ain't got the success we want. Microwave. That's that microwave mentality." Microwave mentality. All right, music. What are you listening to? Any recommended music? What's on your playlist? Uh, well, you know, I go everywhere. Right now, J. Cole just dropped another one. So uh, I'm listening to J. Cole. <laughs> Everybody laughing. I like the baby. I really like the baby. funny to me, okay? So, but my, I like music. Anybody yeah. can tell the story. If you can tell the story, I don't need to, I don't even know how much, I don't even know how much drugs you sold all the time, because before you were selling drugs, there was something else going on in your life. 
So anybody yeah, can tell yeah. a, a story, whatever portrayal, but you know, I need to know something about your pain. Your, your pain kind of, you know, because if you're an artist, you're supposed to paint pictures. Or you're supposed to make a story. That's right. And That's right. Everybody can't have the same story. Okay? You know, all the guys now, they selling drugs. I'm like, wasn't none of y'all small time? I mean, all y'all walk in being the big, the, I mean, the big one? I ain't never known. Uh, every rapper was a kingpin. Yeah. Everyone. And I'm like, okay, that's good. But I'm like, you know, so I'm listening to anybody, you know, big Kendrick Lamar, I can't, you know, uh, I got the old ones, 3,000, but I tell everybody, but you still got to balance your music. Okay? Mm-hmm. What's that? Your words become your, 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 your words become your thoughts and your thoughts become your action. So I filter everything that comes in my brain. I really do. I can't watch too much anything. I can't listen too much anything. I can't listen to me love songs, okay? If I listen to me love songs, you know, I'm out there trying to love everybody, okay? Because that's what I do. So you got to balance everything. I believe in balancing. <laughs> balancing your music, yeah. balance your books. Yeah. I Listen, you must have been listening to a lot of love music when you got to Northwestern. Yes, I would. <laughs> hey, man. Hey. <laughs> that's what you used to put a little, little cassette of CD on. And, you know, it was a different era then, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ready oh, yeah. or not, you know what I'm saying? Johnny Gill. Yeah. And, 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 and my daughters laugh every now and then. I was like, ooh, wee. You better be glad your daddy got progress, okay? Uh, you got oh, man, school. Now, now, I got three girls, so thank you, Lord. That's good. That's good. Listen, hold one second, man. Y'all hold one second. My dog is in here. I don't know if you can hear him, but he getting on my nerves. So I'm going to let him out this door real quick. Hold on. No, that's fine. All right, here we go. All right, we're going to move into this next segment. This next segment is is rapid fire and word association. Okay. All right. So I got 10 just random questions um, and rapid fire because I just first thing that comes to your mind, I want you to go ahead and just spit it out. Kind of like we freestyle. All right. You ready? Hold on. We freestyle. Hold on one second. Hold on. You know, we're going to do this. Hold on now. All right. Let's do this now. All right. Now we can do this now. Okay. All right. You ready? If you could have a superpower... What would it be and why? Superpower. I would go read minds. Okay. Why'd you pick that? Because, you know, Professor X, he could read different things, different minds of folks. When you can read people's minds, you, you can strategize you strategize different. Not mean you can okay. change them, but you can just put yourself in a different position to move around. Okay. Okay. If you could change your name... What would you change it to? I've already changed my name. My name is Frederico. Frederico. Yeah. Okay. I'm Espion. Dominican. Okay. See, I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I learned something new today. I've been knowing Freddie more than half my life. Yeah, but Frederico, <laughs> man, don't let him get started. Dominican. All right. I saw you put the cap on. So, what percent chance do you have of being in a State Farm commercial? Man, they won't put me in one. I'm like, you know, remember Calvin back at McDonald's? You know, remember Calvin was working the fries? Then Calvin, yeah. I said, man, I'm y'all Calvin, man. I talked to the marketing manager. I said, y'all need to put me on. But they won't. Listen, they, they need out. to know. 
They need somebody who's adjusted the hood to be in the commercials. They missing out. I'm telling you. They they are. All right. Favorite all-time book. Favorite all-time book. You know what makes me want to hop? I think it's the last thing is McCall. It was, just, it, it was it was it was a real book. He wasn't it wasn't that spectacular. He he didn't jump over no 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 trees or nothing. He was just a man going through life. He looked at different religions. He had drama from his, from his baby mom. He just had he had life. And at that time when I read that book, that's where I was in my life. So sometimes we need things just so we can relate to. I don't need he and you know he you don't need, you never really heard of him. He never got the A on this big speaking tour and all that kind of stuff. He just a, he was a regular person, and it was a regular book that I needed. That's good. That's good. All right. Would you rather lose the ability to read or lose the ability to speak? I take speak. And hey, that's hard for me because I like to run my mouth. You know that. I could talk for hours. But so, there's so many different ways we communicate. I could write. I could type. I could do all okay. those things. I just couldn't. I can't verbalize. But if you can't read, you can't bring in that information. So that means everything you know right now is capped off. You're not yeah. bringing. You ain't, you ain't learning nothing, anything new. And man, I, don't, I wouldn't want to live a life not learning. That'd be, you know, not learning. Because I think that's what's keep you alive. Yeah. All right. Netflix or YouTube. I would go Netflix, and I don't do a lot of Netflix. Okay, okay. But All right. I am terrible on YouTube. I'm probably the worst person on YouTube ever. Okay, man, I, I was in that category. Uh, uh, but, I, you know, I work with kids. Yes. So one day a kid told me, he was like, we were just talking. This is one of my, my athletes. And we were talking. I was like, man, I want to put some speakers outside, yada, 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 whatever, whatever. Kid was like, yeah, coach, I can do that for you. I was like, oh, you got a job? You know, just doing that? Is that what you do? He was like, nah, coach, you too. Yeah. And that's and that was when I was like, you know what? I need to I need to get on YouTube a little bit more. All right, I, here we go. Now, Next I, one. I will YouTube stuff. I understand it. I will do it. Now, I'm, I'm at that point in my life. My time is more, more important than anything. So I weigh my time versus how long, how much it's going to cost me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. Would you rather have all dogs try to attack you when they see you or all birds? <laughs> I'm going to go dogs. Okay, why Why dogs? Because you still can see the dog coming. You know, but them birds, man, they, 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 they going to hit you. Man, you see how people be running in parking lots from birds? Man, you see the, you see the dog. You, know, you got to see the dog. You know, he's going to come and some of them small, you can kick them. I know they don't want to hear that. Some of them big, you know. But them birds, man, just imagine all them pigeons getting on you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know what? I'm with you on that one. I'm definitely with you on that one. All right. If you could be anything other than an insurance professional, what would it be? I would probably want to be a motivational speaker. I can see that. I can definitely see that. Definitely see that. All right, two more. Two more rapid-fire questions, then we're going to go to Word Association. If you had to sum up the human species in three words, what would it be? 
Three words to describe the human race. Evolving. Um, smart. Lazy. Wow, that's that's good. That's a, that's a crazy combination, but I think that's accurate. All right, last one. If you had a boat. Well, first, let me say this. Do you have a boat? Do you own a boat? No, I can't swim. Okay. I'm keeping the stereotype going. <laughs> but if you had a boat that you were going to stay in, what would you name it? Uh, I'd probably name it. It will probably name Shirley. It'd be named after my mom. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, that wraps up rapid fire. Now we got word association. I got six terms. Okay. Six terms. All right, you ready? Here we go. The first term, insurance. Needed. Wall Street. Easy money. Oh, yeah, easy money. Okay. The Duke Blue Devils. All-time greatest. <laughs> Fatherhood. Uh, uh, the best thing in humility. Okay. Being a father it makes you humble. Okay. Uh, reparations. Um, do. Never be okay. paid, but do. <laughs> okay. Okay. D U E. Do I eat? Yeah. Yes. No, I'm saying D U E. D U E. Do. Yeah, they do. They're right. do. Yeah, for, but for yeah, everybody that's listening. Um, the climate we're in right now, until you could atone, and America never wants to atone for its past. So until you can atone for your past, you can't go forward. So we're going to constantly be in this struggle. And okay. the funny thing is, Americans always get reparations. They, you know, when you read, you know this. They pay read, people you know. to move west. That's right. When you read, you know. That's but, right. You know, That's right. But they, 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 do this little, they do this little shell game with us. You know, and at the end time, even when, even when we don't ask for reparation, we do well. They take it from you. That's why yep. we're celebrating Black Wall Street. That's right. You know, the folks, the folks ain't asking reparation now. Now we now they talking about well, no, it wasn't it wasn't a travesty. You did it intentionally. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Last term. Gulf War. Gulf War. Uh, I will put experience on there, but I got to add something else to it. Uh, great experience for me. But I'm letting people know, I don't believe in really, I really don't really believe in war. I really don't. And so when I think about the Gulf War, it was a great experience. I learned something at a young age. But sometimes we need to stay out of other people's business. You know, you got 10 homes. And yeah. not saying that we can't help other people, but what we accuse other people of doing, we're doing ourselves here. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. No, nah, they don't. And they think don't when you criticize it, you're unpatriotic. And that's probably, probably not more patriotic person than me. Uh, because I, I've loved this country. I've, I've given this country. Uh, and this country has not really reciprocated the same thing to me. But that doesn't mean I don't love it. But also, also can criticize, you know. Yeah. Everybody, if you know me, you know I talk fast. My words gonna run together, so I don't mind the criticism. That when you tell me that, you're making me better. Doesn't mean you don't love me. 
That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. This next segment is called You Didn't Ask. This is when you get the opportunity to give advice that nobody asked for, but you're going to give it to them anyway. So what do you have for this segment entitled You Didn't Ask? Uh, you didn't ask. Uh, let me think about that. I haven't thought about that. You didn't ask how the heck I got uh, all these dang girls, okay? <laughs> no, I'm messing with you. <laughs> uh, somebody, somebody didn't tell me how to make these boys, but I'm out the game now, okay? But, you know, somebody should let you know. Didn't ask how to get these girls, okay? Uh, I would probably say, uh, <laughs> didn't ask about really being a father of three girls and um, their emotional needs. As a father, you know, for girls especially, and not say boys don't need don't need the needs too, but for girls, they've taught me so much about me. Uh, I want the world to go my way. I think it should be my way. <laughs> uh, but they 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 taught me emotional balance. My words are very impactful to them. So you know. Uh, if I call them big head, that's that's gonna hurt them probably more because that's their daddy calling them that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. Okay. You didn't ask. I would probably say we skipped over it, but you didn't ask about really how to deal with dysfunctional families. Because as I'm talking about, my family they know they know I'm hard on them, but uh, we call them dysfunctional, but we're dealing with people. And mm-hmm. when you're dealing with people who don't, the, the thing about it, most times we want people to operate the way we want them to operate versus you got to learn to accept people as who they are. And, you know, and you, you have to learn to love them at their spots. You know, just because they're not on your yeah. way, not where, they, not, not where you want to be, don't mean they can't be loved and don't mean they don't bring some joy and, and something good to the, to the world. But we sometimes we get so focused on telling them what they're not. Versus just accept them as they who they are. That's good. That's good stuff. All right. I used to end on you didn't ask, but you know, black folks don't never leave the first time. So last words, what you got for us? I would say if, if you, whatever you want to be in life, surround yourself with good people. One of the best things I'm a people, I would tell everybody, I was able to be, I was fortunate enough to join the fraternity, make a sci-fi fraternity. And that put me in contact with so many positive, uplifting, and smart brothers. Which, if you any kind of any competitor, you you ain't competing with them, but they're gonna you're gonna rise up because you don't want to be the you don't want to be the slacker. Okay, that's it. Uh, and so that is always uh, it, that is no you know passionate about it, love the brothers. But I tell everybody, surround yourself with good people. Not no yes people that's going to tell you you're right. You know, some rounds of people going to tell you, hey, man, you're stupid. Because you need to hear that sometimes in life. There it is. You have been listening to, or maybe you're out there watching the network with Michael Prejean. This is my attempt at creating a modern podcast version of the Negro Motorist Green Book. With each interview, we are bringing and building a network of talented black professionals Every episode is designed to improve the physical, mental, spiritual, and financial health of Black people traveling in and through America. I'm Michael Prejean. 
You just heard from Freddie Noble. Until next time, peace. Peace. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate